Welcome to Knowledge Counts, a podcast of the Canadian Institute of Quantity Surveyors. I'm Wendy Hobbs. Today we're talking to Jen Hancock, Vice President of Collaborative Construction at Shandos Construction, about IPD. Jen, what is IPD? So IPD is something that uh, I've been working with for a number of years. It's a real passion of mine. Um, I would say that I'm definitely biased for it. Um, It stands for Integrated Project Delivery. It is a specific contract delivery method, uh, like there are other versions, construction management, design, bid, build. So in Canada, we have a CCDC 30, that is the Integrated Project Delivery Contract. And I'll probably use the word IPD to reference that as an acronym for the rest of uh, the discussion. Um, So IPD, what makes it different from other contractual um, delivery methods is a couple of key things. One, it is a a multi-party contract. So we have a number of players who sign the same contract. So owner, architect, and general contractor. And then add in uh, any trade partners that are core to the project, which varies per project, and also add in any core consulting engineering firms that are also core. And on occasion, you also might have a fabricator or manufacturer as part of your IPD team. And so that's one of the major differences is that there's this multi-party contract that exists. Within that multi-party contract, um, the teams have a couple of key, there's a couple of key differentiators that separates it out from, again, other delivery methods. So one, teams have to separate out their profit from their costs, which their costs include actual costs of labor and material plus overhead. So the cost to keep their lights on in their business and separate the profit out from those pieces. That profit then goes into sort of a joint pot. So every person who signs a contract separates out their profit and that is at risk um, once the contract is executed. Um, So those are a couple of key things. There's another, as I mentioned, because it's a multi-party contract, there is early engagement of members who would typically not be at the front end of a project. So that trade partner piece, many trades only get involved once the drawings are done and they tender those drawings. So in the case of IPD, we want earlier trade involvement so that we're getting that constructability and pricing um, input and just general other um, using their knowledge because they've got a lot of knowledge to give in that kind of design phase of the project. Um, there's liability waivers because people are working together and sort of designers are having to design together and taking input from other partners. So those are some of the, I would say, core differentiators. It's built off of sort of a lean collaborative delivery method. Um, You can really utilize uh, tools like building information modeling, lean construction, which you can use on other delivery methods, but you can really kind of take them to new heights in IPD settings. Um, And then you really need to develop core kind of cultural and behavioral values for your team so that you can function really well together like a high performing team. So, um, you know, sometimes IPD can be confused with IDP, which is integrated design process. They aren't the same thing, not to say one is, it's just they're different. There isn't a contract that goes with IPD, IDP, so integrated design process. There's no contract for that. It's just a process that you might um, have more collaboration on the front end. IPD contractually sets the team up for, it's really the contract that then helps the team move forward with much more collaborative uh, decision-making behaviors um, and ability to execute the work. Let's talk about risk sharing. How does the sharing work and how is that beneficial and how is that challenging? Yeah, so risk sharing on in an IPD setting is 
there is this kind of joint profit pot. And what the team does is they make a decision about how much is it going to cost us to build this building, including actual costs. So again, materials, labor, and overhead of businesses. And then the profit is sort of, you can think about it like a piece on top. And so the team works to try to deliver the project for the cost that they said. So let's say they've got a project for $10 million and they're, they think the cost of it is going to be 9 million and their profit pot is a million. So normally an owner wouldn't ever see that profit piece. So one I think is it's very transparent with the team. But what's interesting is so if the team actually, you know, builds the building for nine and a half million, they lose five hundred thousand dollars out of their profit and they only get five hundred thousand. Now, what's interesting about that um, mechanism is that if the team doesn't matter who on the team makes the error. So if it's uh, let's say the general contractor makes a large mistake in the estimate and misses something and the team has to make it happen in order to finish the project that it, everyone shares in that equally pro rata their percentage of the profit pot. So, but then on the other side of that, so that's one of the, that's this sort of is an, it cuts two ways. So, so there's the risk piece for the team members, but interestingly, if the team actually is really efficient and effective with their work and they, they, you know, maybe make some amazing innovations and, and uh, maybe get some good prices on, on components as they're working through their procurement is really well thought out they might save money and deliver that project for 8.5 million. And then that 500,000 that's below what the cost they thought they could deliver for, that then gets split with the owner. And the team gets part of that and the owner. And it's usually a 50-50 split, but teams negotiate that individually. And again, same as on the, the negative side of that, if, if let's say the general contractor had some really great ideas and was really effective running the site and they and maybe the mechanical contractor also did some really great um, procuring of materials, that whole team shares in that. So it doesn't matter whoever makes the mistakes or has the wins, it is shared by the team. And so that risk sharing piece, both the kind of positive and the negative side with it really impacts behavior because the level of accountability to your team, we find absolutely elevates accountability. And um, it does allow other team members to then look and, and really incentivize them to think about what's best for the whole project, because we're thinking always about, you know, there's no question, you know, companies think about profit. It's not like everyone doesn't go into business just for the goodness of being a business. We all want to make profits and, and owners want great value out of their buildings at the end of the day. And so if we can deliver that and do it for you know, at cost or slightly less, whatever we envisioned, that's a benefit to everybody. So that that risk sharing piece is one of the core components. And it's the part where I really see when teams sign that contract and, and lock into a price, it's almost like a switch goes off and you can just see all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, my profit's at risk. Okay. Like real focus on the team and execution and performance at that point. Um, so yeah, it, it, having that profit piece at risk is to me it's a crucial element of IPD it's one of it it needs to fit in with a whole bunch of other pieces but it is a really crucial element to the success of IPD if profit is at risk how does that impact people's willingness to participate in the process and do you find that people are unwilling to participate with other shareholders who they may not be familiar with there is on occasion a, a reluctance to be part of IPD uh because of a couple components. So one, the risk sharing piece of, yeah, having some loss of control around if someone else makes a large mistake might impact my profit. The other thing is, and I haven't really mentioned, but one of the other core pieces about IPD is transparency. So all the costs are auditable and 
it's almost like if anyone's worked in a time and materials kind of setting where you like everything is literally detailed and sent in so it's you can see every detail it's the same in ipd so actually what we would sometimes groups have a hard time being a that transparent with all of their costs like profit expectations and what their overhead is and then also with this idea of being interconnected with other companies in a way that they could lose profit even though they may not have had a hand in what happened that lost the profit but you know so oftentimes with just a bit of discussion that can be you know most teams kind of come on on board and think oh yeah okay like i i still think this model has a lot of merit to it i think the other thing is if you're working in a especially if you're a trade if you're working in a lump sum setting there's a lot of stuff although you have your scope and you have to do and perform that scope there's a lot of stuff that's still out of your control like if another trade if you're supposed to follow a trade having their work complete and they're late they're impacting you all the time and what control do you have over that anyways and that can have a significant impact on your profit and because you may have scheduled around being on site by a certain time and maybe you're three weeks delayed and so, you know, you don't have a lot of control in lump sum stuff anyways. And it's the same, like if you're a designer who's coming in as some of your trade partners and how they're performing their work, it just, you actually don't have a lot of control in those other settings. So when people think about it, it's the, this is sort of the give and take piece. So you, there is that, like the knife can cut that way where there might be some profit taken, but there's actually a lot more ability for teams and member, team members, individuals to problem solve around that and to find the best solution that's going to work out for the project whereas normally you're sort of left on your own to sort your own stuff out where are we at in terms of how often it's being used um at this point yeah so i think one of the first just to give some kind of context in terms of ipd history in canada it it was so it was i think first executed by um sutter health they they created a contract that they felt like would work best for them. And that was sort of in the early mid 2000s, like 2004, 2005. In Canada, I think some one of the first major projects, there might have been a couple smaller ones that cropped up around the same time, like tenant improvements, but the Moose Jaw Hospital was one of the first projects. And that kind of, I think, goes back to around like 2010, 11, 12 timeframe. And then there was sort of a gap in there where there wasn't much else. And I know my first IPD project experience was in Edmonton with the Mosaic Center. That project, we started discussions on that in around 2013. We used an American style contract, which also, so that was customized for our project in Canada. So we used, it was Hanson, Hanson Bridget. And um, the Moose Jaw Hospital had a, co a custom contract created for them for one of the one of the experts in the U.S. on contracts as well. And so um, after that, we used the Hanson Bridget a number of times. So really, we finished that project in 2015. So, you know, really comes to Canada in like, let's say 2010, 11. Now, what we know of, and I don't think like this is from what knowledge I have of looking at a number of RFPs across Canada. I think there's about 60-ish IPD projects which isn't a lot considering you think about the number of projects that are executed a year, but the total dollar value of those projects is close to $3 billion. And around about 800 million of that is already completed. Um, so, and that's really picked up. So that's, you know, you think about if 2015 was only like one of the second or third IPD projects in Canada, uh, maybe not quite, yeah, it was, it would have been in that like kind of top five range to have 60 projects and almost $3 billion in scope since then is pretty substantial. So the number of project total doesn't necessarily um, show kind of the size and complexity of projects that have actually utilized it. And then 
Um, maybe one other really interesting difference that's cropped up in Canada versus the U.S. It's been primarily used in the U.S. with private companies. Um, so a lot in the healthcare space, but in other spaces, um, but in other kind of private spaces, whereas in Canada, it's primarily been used in the public space. So lots of municipalities, um, kind of nonprofits. It's been used by um, some uh, education providers. So Edmonton Public Schools, I think probably has delivered insured like just number, maybe not in dollar value, but actual number of projects, the most IPD in Canada, Edmonton Public Schools has. So Red Deer Catholic Schools. So it's been in that school space. Um, it's been in that municipality space for actually a variety of project types. And so there have been some private projects across Canada, but it is hands down been mostly in the public realm. How do you convince the owner to participate in risk sharing? Yeah, I think... To me, lots of there's lots of owners that don't actually need convincing to try IPD. So if they're an owner, um, I wouldn't want to speak for you know Edmonton Public Schools or Red Deer Catholic or Red Deer uh, yeah Red Deer Catholic, but you know they they've delivered a lot of projects over their time, and when you deliver projects and you you know have quality issues that crop up or um, you know stuff like uh, lawsuits that crop up from something not working right or being installed right or any number of things you know fight between the designer and contractor I think many of those owners look and so first of all they want to try to reduce as much of those problems as possible and I don't blame them and second you know they also want the best value for the public dollar as they can get and so because IPD is very transparent and if the team is able to make savings and this is one of the big differences most other contracts out of the CCDC um, realm, at some point, most of them, not all of them, but a lot of them roll into a lump sum number where the contractor is at risk for that for that amount. And, you know, sure, I guess there's times where an owner's probably benefited and the contractor has lost money and wasn't able to deliver it for that. But if the contractor made, you know, 9% or 12%, the owner's never going to know that. And that's money that you know, that could have been put back into a project. So if an owner, if a, if a contractor is able to make savings on maybe schedule or on like, again, purchasing equipment, the owner's never going to have a visibility into that. So they don't, so, you know, as a, as a team, you're, you're not, uh, you're not functioning as a team. You're very much like, this is my profit and I'm going to try to work towards that. So I think there's pieces of elements that most owners get that. And if they want that level of transparency, um, and if they want to share the savings, then I mean, buildings are complex environments and both the design of them and the construction of them. And so if you can problem solve together to optimize all of that, that means that, you know, you as an owner are probably getting a better product at the end of the day. So I would say, you know, some of the discussions with owners have been, you know, you've got clear eyes into the value. We're going to have the team with you set clear values that we'll work towards which I think is also really important because now everyone is actually thinking holistically and driving towards core values instead of, again, being really incentivized to worry about their own contract type, um, whatever that is. So I've got a dollar value and a scope to deliver, and I'm just going to deliver that. Now they're thinking, again, big picture. And if we can use that to optimize for project. So I would say public owners get better value at the end of the day, better transparency, um, less problems out of construction because you've got teams working together. And again, these are like not sweeping like every project is rainbows and kittens because it's a lot of work doing like being on a high performing team. It's high accountability. It's lots of coordination. It can be exhausting, but 
um, it is also very satisfying, the work that teens do together. So yeah, I think lots of owners actually don't need convincing around that. But one thing we'd also on the opposite side of that, um, one of the things we've sort of said to owners here too, is if you're just driven mostly by getting the cheapest price on your building, it's probably, IPD is probably not the best choice for you. Not that you're not going to get the cheapest price, but if that's what your value is and you're the team is going to continually be ground down around like pricing as being like the only piece, you're probably not getting the value out of the IPD work in the same way. Um, so we still believe that IPD produces the lowest cost for a building um, that a team can deliver, but it's really shouldn't, if it's the only core value of an owner, it is not the right, you, you're better to just go with a design bid build scenario. Um, so yeah, I would say lots of owners have just seen, and they've seen examples where teams have been able to add in value back in. So as an example, from some of the schools, they were able to put in a cosmetology lab and a, a, a kitchen for like a commercial kitchen for them that they weren't sure they were going to be able to get, but those were able to, because of savings, the project team made, they were able to add those things in. So it, when you can explain all that to an owner, many of them, you know, it's sort of a no brainer that they would want to participate in a more collaborative process that gets them hopefully a better quality building, a better chance at a better quality building and really good transparency and good value. Who do you think is the ideal owner for an IPD project? I often get asked about, you know, the the threshold where IPD should be used from a dollar value standpoint um, and or yes, client standpoint. So I would say that IPD could be used on almost any other dollar value above, like our smallest job was three and a half million dollars. And I've heard of IPD projects down in the US that were done for less than or around a million dollars. But the, the smaller the project, ideally, the more experienced the team, it's just a little bit easier to get them up and running and going. But if you so if you had a $100,000 job, would that be a good fit for IPD? Probably not, especially if it was a first time go. You know, I've also had people ask, is a simple project a good fit for IPD? Maybe the answer is no. Like if you were just doing a basic office and shop, is that a good fit for IPD? There's a lot of people that would say no. The only thing I would question with that is we still run into problems with some of those projects where like with coordination and all kinds of other things. If you could simplify that sort of validation design process, would you still not benefit from having a really well-coordinated team that was, you know, driven to try to produce that building in the most effective and efficient way for the owner? And I would still say yes. So, um, but there's a lot of people that would say that wouldn't be a great fit for IPD. And then, yeah, I think honestly, lots of lots of private developers have money tied in in a way that makes them, it's probably not the best fit for them. Because I think many private developers are quite driven by cost and it, the, it changes the relationship with the team if that's like the constant focus around, can I trust that you're doing the right thing? Is, you know, it's just a constant like, chipping away at the cost all the time where teams are always having to, you know, work to cost. It's not like any, any IPD projects we've ever executed. It's not as if the budget's been, we've had tons of budget room. So yeah, I would say still mostly. And then the other thing an owner would have to question is who do they have that can sit in the room? So if you, if you are using like a hired project manager, with a firm might be a little bit difficult because their ability to make decisions in the room might be that might pose a bit of a challenge. So there's definitely projects and for owners that it, it you know, at the end of the day, too, if your style of leadership as an owner is to think the contractor is 
always going to be, and contractors are viewed like this, and there's good reason for that. Both general contractors and trade contractors is always trying to like make extra money on change orders. And if you're someone gen naturally who doesn't have a good um, trust with that part of the system, then it's it, again, it's probably not a good fit. So you know, there's there is a size threshold, and there is a, um, and I think it's the internal staffing piece, and then your focus as a business. And so if those three things don't line up, you isn't it's not a good fit for you as an owner. And just as a side note, there is a there's an IPD guide that um, I was fortunate enough to help participate with some of the um, putting together of it and editing of it. And it is provides a whole section on is IPD right for you from an owner standpoint. And so it's a really great reference to sort of read through and just see if it's the right kind of fit. Other than where an owner is solely focused on cost, are there other times when IPD should not be used? I would say it's an owner who, so an ideal owner in IPD is um, someone who they have someone in their organization that can sit in the phases of the IPD process and be present and able to make decisions. And so I say that as in um, the the upfront part of IPD, there's a validation phase and a design phase, and it requires a fair amount of input. Now, some owners, you know, you still may have to go back to a board and get some approvals on things. But at the end of the day, what you want is someone who can mostly sit in a room and make decisions. That's for one. It is time consuming for an owner at that front end. It's sort of that like measure twice, cut once. So it's all about sort of the really the good planning, making sure that we're all moving in the right direction. That requires effort. So there, it is time consuming for an owner. So someone who can sit in a room for a while um, and really help the team work through decisions and knows their organization well. So, and then I think, um, I, as I mentioned, it's been actually in a lot of public settings where groups have struggled with traditional construction process and felt like they've not got value. It is great value for public dollar when you can, you know, so again, we've found really good. It's been really successful in school settings. We built a seniors facility, really great success in that kind of setting um, can be helpful for, you know, housing projects. Um, and we're seeing an expansion into things like water and wastewater treatment plants, like really great value being delivered to municipalities for projects. And then I, th- I think what's interesting is a lot of the projects that have we've done over the years, many of them have come to us because because, and, and as in we, you know, had to respond to an RFP, but we've ended up doing them because the owner had a major budget or schedule challenge that they didn't know how to sort out. And so they decided to go IPD to be able to come up with the best solution to execute that project, whatever it is. And um, I've got some great examples where we were able to do that. And I think that that's why, you know, owners have this problem that they can't quite solve or they're scared to solve through the other methods. And IPD does a great job in that that space so i think you know an owner probably again municipalities ones that really want to drive best value in for public dollar need a little bit of innovation and then often have some kind of a complexity around schedule or cost that really causes them some you know space where they need that extra bit of help from a team a collaborative team how does dispute resolution work in an IPD project? And do the recent legislative changes around prompt payment and adjudication affect that process? So dispute management in an IPD setting um, basically looks like a there's usually multiple layers to it. So if for some reason you've got, you know, a team member who's not performing for whatever reason, it could be for a variety of things. Um you know, first option always in that setting is to go either talk to the individual themselves, um, try to sort it out with the individual. If that doesn't work, you might talk to a manager and try to get that sorted out. 
And then if that doesn't work, you would look to replace, if it's a problem with an individual in particular, you'd maybe look to replace that individual and then have someone else come on board. Um, if it's a staffing issue, we've, so I'll give you an example. One of our projects had a trade partner that was falling behind on schedule and the entire team was starting to get really agitated around whether they would be able to complete on time and how that would impact the whole team. And so that one of the things requested that trade partner was to come back with an action plan for how they were going to get back on track to present it to the team. And then the team had the ability to vote because IPD does have a, has contractual clauses that allows you to remove a team member who's not performing. So you wouldn't ever do that lightly. Um, to my knowledge, we've never had an IPD team member removed. So the team sits down with them, has the crucial conversations and all those kinds of layers. And then, you know, that team member came back presented a plan, the team voted on keeping them, and then they ended up performing incredibly well for the rest of the project, just incredibly well. So there, you would you would do go through all those steps first. At the end of the day, so when it comes that you can remove a team member and there is mechanisms in the contract, if for some reason it gets larger than that around like a team in terms of, um, you know, let's say an owner has a dispute with the entire team for whatever reason from a, a larger perspective, there is, again, there's, you would work, so the, the team has, um, one of the things is there's a senior management team. So ultimately, that senior management team, which has a senior person from each organization, a C-suite person who can make financial decisions, part of that, there could be something could get elevated to that SMT, the senior management team, for a vote. And if at that point, the owner still wasn't happy with that outcome, um, then, and, and if there was issues, the next steps for, for that stuff is to go to mediation and arbitration. So it's, it is set up and the contract is set up in a nice way so that you don't sort of immediately go to that sort of litigation step. There's like steps to really help a lot to, and you ideally have built your culture in such a way that you're tackling all that stuff really regularly before you hit a major snag, but it, can happen. Um, so that, that piece is, is there on the dispute um, resolution. Can you talk about the role of a professional quantity surveyor in IPD? So maybe there's two pieces on the estimating side. So one, I think there's the internal estimators that work for the, you know, contractors. And then there's that third party um, estimator quantity surveyor that might help out a team. So I'll maybe start with the ones with the contractors. Estimators or quantity surveyors are absolutely crucial to an IPD project, just critical elements to that and the success of a team. So a couple of the things that we see um, that we have learned over the years of working in IPD projects is that are the, the estimators who work in, in those settings need to be able to have conceptual estimating skills. When we start our projects, um, we often don't have a lot of designs. We don't actually want a lot of designs in the validation phase necessarily. We want to be able to, and we do something called target value design. And this is way easier to say than actually to do in practice. So what we want to do at the very beginning of a job before we put any lines to paper or anything, we basically want to figure out what the program is. So what does the actual owner want to build? And then we want to build a conceptual estimate around that. And so the difference between how we might estimate an IPD job versus something else is we want to design to an estimate versus estimating a design. So we wanna create that conceptual estimate first that the team then knows, so the mechanical team knows, oh, we've got $1.2 million to do our work. So now we're gonna design a system 
that maybe fits in that. And there's going to be movement around that. You might say, oh, well, we're going to spend a bit more money on the envelope and a little less in the mechanical system. So that's why this holistic approach is really important. But estimators are core to that discussion. There can't be a, I, I can't price this because I don't have a set of plans and specs. It, you have to be conceptually estimating, asking questions, probing designers, really like digging in there, being really proactive. So that is core to like both the general contractor and to any of the trade contractor side. And then um, we, on the third party um, quantity survey or estimator that might come in, we have uh, some projects have had that third party estimator to come in. Um, partially some is because the owner requires it. Um, it's actually can be a, an amazing tool for project teams just to validate their costs, to have someone else come in with a fresh set of eyes. Now they're going to need to, you know, understand how the team put the num puts the numbers together, but then just to provide that third party point of view on the work that's been done and a sanity check on the estimate to date. So third party quantity surveyors, I would say are like it's an incredible tool in IPD projects. It also gives the owner the comfort of yeah, I've, I've brought this team in, as you said, before any of the design work is done. I want to make sure the pricing seems like it makes sense. And I mean, you think about even all of the volatility now around supply chain and costing of commodities, it really having that extra voice and person there to help with the strategy, I think is really important. So it, it that, that sort of estimator is really important role and it kind of both internally and then that external third partner piece. How is IPD a better style of procurement versus a more traditional method? Yeah, IPD is definitely different. And I would say areas where it does have an advantage over some of the other delivery methods, you you might get this in other projects. It's just not naturally built into the contract and just the way that it's broken out. I think it's, again, it's this holistic thinking piece. It's the the part where the team is able to, you know, if you're the, concrete trade at the end of the day we want success for the project and so how can you help with that and is there something another trade contractor might do to make your life easier um so it's that it's that holistic thinking piece i also think that um problems happen on any project we'd like to have them not happen we'd like to coordinate so well that nothing ever crops up but problems happen on every job and again when you have a problem happen because the team is tied together you just see this group swarming the problem like you know they might have a moment where they're a little bit ticked off about whoever you know what whatever caused that problem at the end of the day it's not to your advantage to go sit in the corner and fume about whatever the problem is it's to everyone's advantage let's sort this out and solve it and and ideas can come from anywhere and because you're all working together you can get some really incredible ideas from people you might not expect on a project team so you can really like leverage and access knowledge more across the board uh things like think about things like equipment sharing you know what if three or four trades both all need like a jlg lift on the site well, you might decide, you know what, instead of having four of those with a bunch of these sitting idle and you're, the owner's paying for that, right? Because that's built into someone's estimate. Um, you can now sit down and say, how many do we think we're going to need? Maybe we only need two of them. And then we just have a sign-out sheet and everyone can use them. You know, that's stuff that's more value to an owner. There are times where we've had trades perform scope. Um, for example, on one project, we had our mechanical trade framed up the housekeeping or the mechanical room and housekeeping pads 
because they had capacity in their labor, they would never normally do that. But we were a bit behind on our labor. And so they did that. They did an incredible job. You can't do that on any other contract type. So, you know, sharing of the work also during that design phase, making sure the right people are doing the work. You can have, if you've got a structural steel person on board, they can help maybe some of the structural engineering design work. So you can split some of that up because they have usually have engineers on board and they have to fabricate and they have to design for fabrication. So you can now connect that work together um, and share some of it if it makes sense. So there's just, to me, IPD has some major advantages in that it allows teams to be able to do things that actually make a lot of common sense that we, we would want to be able to do to work together, but that we're not able to do because contractually it's actually really risky for us to, you know, sometimes help or cross over work. We just can't cross scope over in the same way. So there's, I think there's huge advantages and teams generally really do enjoy working together. It is a lot of work, but um, you can't just storm off an IPD project because you have, you know, six or eight or 10 other partners looking at you, needing you to perform your work. So I think it really keeps people at the table for conversations, for tough conversations. It helps us work through together. So yeah, I just, I think there's a lot of advantages to it. Um, and it specifically specifies in the contract that you're going to use last planner scheduling system, which is a much more inclusive and coordinated scheduling system with all the team members. It says you're going to have build a respectful and collaborative culture, like no other contracts say those things. So, I mean, can you build them into a construction management contract? Absolutely. You can add that stuff in, but do we do that most of the time? The answer is, is no. So I think IPD has just, it doesn't necessarily guarantee you the absolute most collaborative best building, but I would say that it guarantees you the best chance to have that hands down. Have there been any unexpected benefits with IPD projects? One thing that I feel like is important from working on IPD projects over the years, I have seen a side benefit. So there's this benefit to the owners um, in that I think they've, in almost all cases, have got these exceptionally high quality, great buildings that people have put a lot of thought and energy and feeling into. But because IPD requires such rigor, so really strong rigor around uh, project cost forecasting, project scheduling, we often do a bunch of lean uh, efficiency training with team members. What I have seen is, is that A, so you see this elevation in skill level of people because they're getting this extra training. We have seen um, companies come out of an IPD project and say, wow, that forecasting process was great. We were not doing anything like that before. And we've now used this tool to help us forecast all our jobs and we can see all into all of them so much better. Um, I've seen people who've said, yeah, I sat in this big room, uh, the big room where we co-located our designers. And this was sort of, you know, pre-COVID where we could be in a, you know, larger space together. But people say, I learned so much about the whole like span of a project. Like if you think about a trade partner, frequently they only get brought in when the drawings are done. So when they get to sit in and listen to an owner's considerations and how design is being done and how architectural might be, you know, thinking about structural and vice versa, there is this like incredible learning that can happen. So 
I have seen major uh, professional development for myself and for lots of team members who've worked in these projects. I've seen incredible relationships develop out of these projects where there's some companies who don't almost want to do anything but IPD and people who work within them who don't almost want to do anything but IPD because they love the working environment. So to me, it's also really hopefully made people enjoy coming to work a little bit more and feeling more connected to their work. Um, so I, and the other thing is, I guess, is as IPDs come along and we're seeing the use of tools like last planner system, maybe elevated forecasting to me, that work and that collaborative, like setup at the front end is helping change other delivery methods. So we can take some of that, you know, values alignment stuff we do in IPD and we can apply it to a construction management job or apply it to a lump sum, you know, design bid build. So I think IPD, it's not perfect. But I think it's elevating the market in lots of ways, both individually, in companies, and actually elevating how we deliver other project delivery methods. So that is one thing I think is really important. I want to continue seeing more IPD projects out in the market because I think it's going to help us really change our whole industry. Thank you to Jen Hancock, Vice President of Collaborative Construction at Shandos, for joining us today to talk about IPD. For Knowledge Counts, I'm Wendy Hobbs.